This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people saying, no thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. You are listening to The Cable live. Live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio alongside Guy Johnson. I'm Jonathan Farrow and I have to say this has been quite an interesting day after it's been very boring, Guy, for a number of weeks. So I think it is an interesting day because there's kind of two narratives out there today, one of which is kind of what's going on with the earnings story. And then I think there's a macro kind of backdrop to all of this, which I think is worth paying attention to as well. The kind of the event that really has stood out most in my mind today, John, the Korean numbers. Yep. Really weak terms of trade numbers really weak and you kind of put that next to what the Riksbank said today you put that next to what 3m said today and i think outside of the united states i think we're back to this narrative of this global slowdown so we mentioned that earlier in the week we brought up the prospect of the trade numbers spanning out a pretty ugly story and there were south korean trade numbers so some people think why do we care about that but most people in the market recognize it's a great proxy for what is happening with global trade with global technology and if things are bottoming out improving you'd expect to see it in semis you'd expect to see it in the trade data in south korea and for that matter you'd expect to see it in south korean gdp and to see South Korean GDP in negative territory, guys, quite something. Yeah, it, it really is. And we've got a GDP number coming up tomorrow out of the United States. And I think it's going to be an interesting compare and contrast to dig into all the details. I think South Korea is one of those countries that I think with its exposure into what's happening with the Chinese economy is worth paying attention to. It's got a lot of the kind of companies that I think provide um, a, a lot of kind of bellwether products. And I think all of them kind of fit together to tell a story of a slowdown of a Chinese stimulus story that isn't quite delivering yet, uh, that certainly isn't delivering in the size and scale that maybe people got excited about a few weeks back. I think there's there's a lot of things that, that people can take away from it. Um, claims numbers today was a, was a little soggy as well. I, I, I think you could probably There was a sizable pick up there. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Very noisy. I never quite know whether that's a soggy story or a firm story. You've also you've always got to pick up on the trend with initial jobless claims and coming off what multi-decade lows on initial jobless claims. Bit premature to draw any conclusions there. I think the data more broadly in the United States to see business equipment investment pop the most since July of last year. I think. I mean, that's pretty decent. I think, the there's US also economy. Account, I think there's an Easter effect into that claims number. No doubt. Well. Yeah, no doubt. We should probably talk to Charlie Pellet. I know he's he's champing at the bit, ready to go. The hell, lots going on today. Let us begin with European banks, specifically Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank. They ended their talks on a historic tie-up, throwing the future of the lenders into question after a series of failed turnaround plans. More than five weeks of negotiations and the finance ministry's push to forge one strong institution out of two struggling firms failed to overcome the economic and political obstacles to combining the country's biggest listed banks. In the United Kingdom, Barclays shares sliding the most in six months down more than 3.5% amid concern that CEO Jess Staley won't get the investment banking uptick he needs to meet his profitability targets. As the British bank reported first quarter earnings, its American-born CEO vowed to reduce expenses and cut bankers' pay if tough conditions persist this year. Well, for all the talk at the top of the show about the global Global slowdown, 
Hermes International reported its fastest quarterly sales growth in more than four years, boosted by demand from Chinese consumers, another sign that the world's largest luxury market is holding up. Latest from the news desk, Guy Johnson, back to you in London. There's a temptation to talk to Charlie Pellet about Birkin bags, but I think we're just going to leave that to one side right now. Charlie will be back very, very shortly. Um, giving like us Birkin update. bags, Guy? Is there somebody I, you want to tell us? No. Okay. No, I, I, I think they're... No, I do. Uh, yeah, they're oh, you nice do things. like them? Right, I do like them, yeah. I'm just asking. I, the, the, I, I wouldn't walk around with one, but I'm sure my wife would love to. Oh, would she? Yeah. Has I she got one? have one yet. No. Oh, yet? She wants one. Oh, of course. So, so there's a funny story about this. A friend of mine once bought one secondhand. They, they basically there is a there is a secondary market in Birkin bags, and you can take them to the company, and they uh, they give you a valuation on it. So there's this kind of thriving really? secondary market in these sort of high end handbags, which I was surprised about. Let's put it that way. I don't have any idea about any of this stuff. No. It will all. It, it, you will at some point. I promise you. I'll take a hard pass that, on that guy. That 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 point in your life no will arrive. Thanks. I guarantee it. Putting it off. Uh, okay. Putting it. Yeah, putting it off. Not completely. For as long as uh, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be the point I'm trying to make here. Um, it, it, it comes to us all. Um, let's uh, let's talk about what's happening with these markets, John. Get a sense of kind of what is going on. I I, I think the story once again today is one of. American strength about what is happening in the American economy, about what is happening more broadly in the American kind of um, equity story. I, I think the dollar just goes from strength to strength. Now, normally, Alistair McCaig from Fern Wealth is to be found in Switzerland, but school's out, so he's here in London, and it's very nice to welcome him to the studio. Al, is there any other choice but to buy America right now? Uh, evening, Guy and John. Um, right here, right now, no, it still remains the most attractive destination. Um, you know, we look, we, we continue to look around globally and say where else is, is going to start picking up the slack. I guess we are optimistically looking at Asia and more focused towards China and hoping that we're going to see a bit more of an uptick there. And we have tentatively started increasing our exposure to, to China again um, over the last couple of months in anticipation, I guess, of the fact that we're going to see a deal but slightly nervously because the um, you know the city has a tendency of buying the rumor and selling the news, uh, and um, you know we're, we're just conscious of how that might materialize and pan out in somewhere down the road when we finally do get a deal signed, sealed, and delivered. How uncomfortable are you with this dollar move, Al? Uh, we we talked about this uh, before, and and. When it when you talk about any one currency, there's always a flip side to that. You know, which what's the far, what's the opposite currency you're either selling or buying, as it were. And right here, right now, the dollar still remains the most attractive um, proposition, partly because of what's going on in the background in the economy side of things, and certainly as far as interest rates are concerned. And central banks, as much as the U.S. might be patient at the moment, um, it's more more than just patience that's being shown everywhere else, pretty much globally. Um, so. By default, it still remains the the sort of uh, the, the strength uh, uh, strength currency of choice. So, so something at some point's got to give, and to a certain extent, we we saw that in the three M numbers today. There was a dollar effect in there. If the dollar keeps going up, U.S. companies are going to start feeling the pain. So, I'm kind of wondering which one do you focus on? Is, is there an expectation that the dollar and U.S. equities can continue to rally? in tandem as they are at the moment? 
Well, I think we're kind of conscious that when it comes to US equities, probably the pace that they continue to rally will subside. Um, I don't necessarily think that this reporting season's the, the catalyst for us to say that they're about to turn around and reverse, but I think they'll continue. But that pace is going to slow down. And as that pace slows down, I think that the, 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 the issue with the dollar will be um, uh, possibly slow down too as part of that equation. To see the dollar break out of this tight, narrow trading range with dollar strength at a time when the Federal Reserve has backed away is a situation that's confusing a lot of people. It is totally incompatible with improving risk appetite. And typically, it's totally incompatible with a global economy that's doing okay. So do you think something's got to break here? And essentially, are you saying it's the dollar and it's got to go the other way? Well, right here, right now, if if the dollar is making this move and, and we're seeing the Fed uh, curtailing their appetite for rate rises, it's it's if anything, it's more a reflection of how pessimistic I guess we are of other central banks globally and their abilities. Because let's face it, they've at least got the economy that's backing up these kind of moves, um, and 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 an inflation rate as well, which which gives you a bit more ability to 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 implement these these uh, central bank policies. More, you look around globally and you struggle to make a decent argument for any of the other major central banks out there to do 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 the same. Well, one factor that is uh, certainly bearing on the ECB right now is what is happening with the European banking space. Today, a lot of news. Barclays, UBS, but more importantly, Commerzbank and Deutsche Bank calling off their merger talks. We're going to talk about that next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson. On Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. It is ten past five in the city of London. So the European banking sector today, absolutely fascinating. Barclays out of London, one of the big stories. I think it was the second uh, worst performing European bank stock. Uh, and certainly, Jess Staley has a difficult time of things going forward. The investment bank, while on the trading side, is doing all right, not so much elsewhere. And that's got a lot to do with what is happening more broadly in Europe and the the lack of kind of economic activity uh, that is taking place. But the big story today, John, was what was happening uh, with, with Deutsche Bank and Commerzbank. Now, the stocks fell, but not by much. And what is interesting as well is that ING was the biggest loser amongst European banks today, down by 34 I just wonder whether the market's front-running the possibility of it having a run at Commerzbank and already starting to vote with its feet. Yeah. But the Deutsche Bank, the Deutsche Bank story kind of is the dominant one, I think. Yeah, I guess I don't know how much you can take away from the Deutsche Bank price action on the session because no. there's a prospect of a cash call from Deutsche Bank. They were going to have to raise money and they were going to have to issue equity seemingly to do that. And the prospect of that being taken away, removed, means you sort of fade the cash call, and I guess that gives a bump to the equity. I would just say, look at it this way. Both of them are still potentially looking for a dance partner. The CFO of Deutsche Bank said that to our very own good friend and colleague, Matt Miller, a little bit earlier on today. We can at least name some potential dance partners for Commerce Bank. Can you do the same for Deutsche? No, that's the problem. And I was talking to uh, Dieter Hein, who's one of the, uh, from Alpha Value Fair Research a little bit earlier on, one of the top-rated analysts on the stock, and his view was, I, you, you are going to really struggle when it comes to D&D due diligence on Deutsche to understand what is in that balance sheet, to understand where the risks lie. And you've got, I it's a really tough ask to go in there and do that. So that kind of really leaves you with a big question as to where where you go next 
if you are Deutsche Bank. Al, what do you reckon? I, what do you do if, if you're running Deutsche right now? Uh, you've got a lot of risks to manage at the moment. You've got an economy that's not exactly performing in the way that you would want it to. Really hard to see anybody wanting to to sort of sidle up to you at the uh, at the at the dance uh, and offer to take you onto the floor. I kind of what do you do next? Uh, that is a really difficult question. As far as Deutsche and Commerce are concerned, you could see the Germans going, well, at least it's one problem, not two problems we're going to have to deal with somewhere down the road. Um, as far as other interested parties in, in regards to Deutsche, it's difficult. The debt that, that, that they've got, and also, if you think a little bit more broadly, when it comes to financial issues and fines that Deutsche have, have received over the last number of years, they are one of the most commonly uh, named offenders when it comes to these. And you just wonder how many more things there are still in the pipeline to materialise. Um, I think also a reflection of this is um, the biggest uh, cheer that the, the, the fall away of the merger talks between Commerce and Deutsche came from German unions. And that yep. goes to show what they thought. Great, yeah. jobs look more secure. Uh, and B, when, when it, I guess, in, indirectly increased the chances of ING getting involved, their share price fell away too. So I think that shows how nervous and unappealing uh, many feel that it is. Increasing the chances of cross-border M&A for the banking system, for the banking sector, and I think that's probably a positive because I got the feeling that some officials on the continent weren't happy with the prospect of a bigger German bank and would quite like, instead of a national champion, a European champion, a cross-border champion. Just to step back just a little bit and reflect on this, Guy, I think this is really sad. We all know and are aware and maybe even friends with some really talented, hard-working individuals who work at Deutsche Bank working under incredibly tough conditions, sticking it out, and particularly the people that I know on the South Side continually putting out great research. It is sad that here we are wasting much of 2019 over something that doesn't materialise. Here we are facing this prospect of a fifth turnaround plan since, I think, 2015, and a management and leadership team that once again is just churning through ideas and seemingly going nowhere. And watching what should be a great institution, a great company guy, just slowly drift further and further back. So there's a lot of criticism of Olaf Schulz, who is the German finance minister. Um, and there is a sense that maybe this whole kind of construct was one that, that he put in play yeah. uh, and probably shouldn't have done. And wasted much of 2019 uh, in the process. Exactly. And you wonder, therefore, kind of what could have been. I, but, but nevertheless, I, did, it, did it improve the trajectory? Did it not? I don't know. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Every quarter, at least once a quarter, I like to deliver a public service announcement. I did it a little bit earlier on Bloomberg TV. I'll do it again on Bloomberg Radio. 3M came out with earnings today and they weren't great. They had to slash their forecast, slash 2,000 jobs, have a restructuring effort, all of that bad stuff. The stock's down, it's down hard. It's also the third biggest weighting in the Dow because the Dow is a price-weighted index, which means the Dow today is down by a half of 1% and the S&P 500 is up by a tenth of 1%. So if any of you ever hear a TV or radio anchor talking about the Dow, in America, please ignore Turn them off. and look at the S&P 500. Now, I like to quote both guys just to give people an overall picture of where the main indices are in the United States. But if I'm going to quote one, it's nearly always the S&P 500. Well, that's not even an index, is it? It's I, an average. I, I wish people just wouldn't refer to the Dow, no. but they do. 
and we're still History's. talking about it. It's history, and people are so conditioned to be thinking about the Dow. And if they go with the front pages in America, they'll go with the front page of the Dow and Dow 26,000. And it just drives me insane. The idea of having anything price-weighted just makes just no sense. Just explain what that means. Basically, if you've got the highest price, you've got the biggest weighting. Basically, yeah. Even if you've got a small company, even yeah. if you've got a small market cap. So if you so look, at, look at the Dow right now, the biggest weighting is Boeing by far. It's almost yeah. 10% of the index. Then the next one down is United Health. Then after that is Home Depot, Apple, Goldman, McDonald's, 3M now because 3M's price has gone down that much. If you look at the S&P 500 and look at the weightings there, the biggest companies typically have the biggest weighting. So Microsoft has a 4% weighting on the S&P 500. Apple has a close to 4%. Amazon in and around 3%. And then Facebook. You know, that kind of makes sense. I also think it's beneficial because it takes away some of the volatility. Usually, the bigger the market cap, the less volatile the equity. Yeah, so it's the kind of pro-cyclical, Yeah, it? so it's the just... idea that you just have this a small company, but it's got a bigger price, make up a bigger weighting of your index, although, as you say, your average, it uh, just doesn't make sense to me. We should put AP Muller-Mersk in there. Oh, can you imagine? That would be the biggest weighting on anything, wouldn't it? Did you ever ask the CEO why he doesn't do a stock split? Well, it kind of is in a way, isn't he? So they're basically they're breaking the company up. So in some ways, that is a stock split. But but nevertheless, yeah, it has been. Uh, I think it's what eight thousand eight hundred and eighteen um, at the moment. So I, that would blow everything else out of the water. I but think they have Berkshire, been... Berkshire Hathaway's worse, isn't it? Is it what's Berkshire's? Actually, I've got to look at this now. Um. Berkshire A shares. Have a look at them. I got the B's up. The A's, I think, are three hundred seventeen thousand dollars. Wow. Okay, that wins. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? It is slightly ridiculous. Um, what should we talk about? I, I, the, the public health warning is 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 very useful. Right? I, <laughs> I, I can't remember I, the last time I we apologize. did it, but, but it I, is worth. I, doing. I can talk about something else. I actually think it's interesting that RBS needs a new boss. Um, I was going to joke about whether you'd apply for that job as well as the Bank of England governor role. I think I could probably handle both of them at the same time. The RBS gonna, job could... is not an easy job. Let's put it that way. I mean, it looks oh, you're both You're working for the government on both fronts. I think uh, uh, Mr McEwen's done a particularly good job there. And when you consider where it's come from and where it is now, he's probably taken it as far as he can. I think from a CV point of view as well, this is probably a pretty good time to step back because, let's face it, being f fundamentally government-run bank, uh, you can't imagine that the bonus structures there are going to be as attractive as other banks out there. Um, and I'm sure Ross will be uh, keen to, to look around in due course once, once his, all his... Uh, commitments and why, do you, why do you think you take on a job like that i you are if you get a decent bonus you're going to be bashed because basically you are a civil servant mm -hmm. why i if you are career orientated why do you take on a job like rbs i plenty of tried and plenty have failed the chances of success are are kind of low because you're managing such enormous change in such a difficult environment. I'm kind of curious. I, why Why would you take on a job? I like think it's a there? reflection of how aggressive he is and how confident he is on himself. To a certain extent, there was always a safety net because the you know the government weren't going to let it ultimately oh, sure. fail. So you do know you've got a safety net behind you. And if you can get the worst, you know, the black sheep sorted out, as it were, if you can be the one who rectifies that company, when it comes to you know the next big banking job out there, when they're looking for someone, you've got to imagine Ross McEwen's name 
thing is going to be pretty high up the list of people who have got a track record of dealing with a lot of things being thrown at them and tackling it and winning through in the end. Looks like the replacement is likely to be Alison Rose, who, if you're not aware, been at RBS all her life, uh, basically now runs British commercial and private banking uh, for RBS. But I'm with Guy. It's an incredibly difficult role to take. And I guess more so, I think if you're an established name, this isn't a job you want. Let's put it that way. Because what's the upside? But if you are, to your point, and I think that's the point you're trying to make, Al, if you're aggressive and you're up and coming, I guess it's a place that maybe you can prove yourself. It's a low bar. Well, I think Ross took that advantage whereby when he took over, it, you know, it, Stephen Hester had, had <clears throat> struggled with it, let's go with, and he took over and expectations, I guess, were low. Uh, and so, you know, to beat the previous incumbent, the previous bar, the, the, it was set relatively low. He's done that. He's He's got the mark up. He's moved it higher. When it comes to the next person taking over following Ross, it's not too surprising that we're talking about someone being promoted from within. Can I just ask you a quick question before we let you go back to Switzerland? In Swiss franc terms, the S&P is up by 21.39%. Your clients must just ring you up and go, you know what, take the rest of the year off. <laughs> the clients are never always happy uh, about everything. But um, I think we're, we're fortunate in where we live. And, and, and I touched on it off air a little bit earlier. Because our clients have a, a large exposure to Swiss francs, whether it's cash in their bank or whether it's you know mortgage deposits or pension pots or whatever it might be, uh, we can afford to be a little bit more aggressive and maybe a touch more risky when it comes to their investment side. So we do take advantage of that. Um, yeah, they're happy. Um, but by the same token, I guess uh, the happier they are, the more conscious they are of, of how much more there might be to fall. OK, we'll let you go back to Switzerland now. Thank you very much indeed for coming to see us. Thanks, Alice Al. McCaig joining yep. us in firm. Well, very nice so to I'm see sorry him I in. Missed in... Al. Yeah, yeah. I, I must admit, I would have been good to see you again, John. It's been a while. You, need to, take a trip to, you need to take a trip to New York. Yeah, <laughs> make true. that happen. Yeah, we definitely. did a trip to the Emirates together once. We watched Arsenal together. Yes, yes, they, indeed. They did not have a good night last night. <laughs> no, Wolves um, doing doing a number on them. Ooh. Okay. Uh, well, that's that's definitely something for another day. Maybe a baseball game next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable. We are live on DAB Digital Radio in the London area and to be found on all your Bloomberg devices as well around the world. John Farrow's over in New York. I'm Guy Johnson here in London. And Charlie Pellets here with all the latest news. And we've got a lot going on. Earnings, all sorts of things to talk about today. But first of all, let's begin with Apple and Microsoft. Move over Apple because there is a new number one. Microsoft has become the largest company by market capitalization today after shares jumped to a record following the company's better than expected fiscal third quarter results last night. Apple, by the way, will be releasing earnings next week. Speaking of earnings, Facebook shares surging 6.8% after the largest social media company posted robust quarterly sales growth and signaled it may be close to resolving a U.S. Pri piracy uh, privacy investigation, easing investor concerns about the impact of regulatory threats. Lots of earnings after the bell. They will be very closely watched, perhaps could set the trend for tomorrow's trading. Amazon, Intel, Starbucks, and Ford. And finally, Deutsche Bank and Commerce Bank have ended talks on a historic tie-up following the future of uh, throwing the future of the lenders into question after a series of failed turnaround plans. Latest from the news desk, Jonathan 
Jonathan Farrow, back to you. Charlie Pellet, thank you very much. Let's pick up where Charlie basically left off just before. The tech earnings in America, just absolutely fantastic looking at Facebook and Microsoft. Facebook, that stock is up by a little more than 6% in uh, early trading. Let's call it halfway through the trading session here in New York City. Looking at Microsoft, growth all over the place. The cloud business, absolutely Sky high, flying high. Microsoft stock up by a little more than 3% and with a $1 trillion market cap through much of this session, a record high on the stock. The market cap right now, $993 billion. To discuss, Michael Regan joining us, senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Live here at Bloomberg. Michael Regan, let's begin with Facebook. Could they have delivered a better quarter? Uh, really a, a spectacular quarter with uh, sales were up, what, 20-some percent, I think. Um, and what's fascinating is, you know, they, they're they bracing for this big settlement, um, and they set aside, I think, what, $3 billion. Uh, investors seem to be taking that as sort of the all-clear signal on the, on the regulatory risk. You know, I'm not sure uh, if that's the smartest thing in the world. I mean, <laughs> right after you know their earnings this morning, we saw Canada come out uh, making well, that's some noise. The old regulatory risk. There's always the new regulatory risk with with Facebook. That's the problem. Right, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, and uh, you know, especially with Democratic candidates making noises about you know the power of of companies like this and Amazon. But I mean, if you if you're still looking for that growth, you're looking for uh, a company that's sort of isolated from. Um, a, a lot of these issues that uh, we saw in the first quarter, you know, contrast Facebook with uh, 3M and UPS earnings. Um, 3M just really awful quarter uh, announced they're they're uh, cutting 2,000 jobs. Um, to me, that's when I start getting nervous, when I start seeing companies cutting jobs, because it makes you think, well, this isn't just a temporary weakness. They're bracing for, for yeah, something Yeah, this isn't else. quarter to quarter. It's Right. They're, they're you know, not banking on this second half rebound that everyone else is. But, you know, that said, 3M's kind of an isolated uh, animal in that sense. I haven't seen a whole lot of other companies announcing job cuts, but it, it does catch my attention when you, when you see that. Um, and then UPS, you know, uh, again, a, a, a travel company, a shipping company that, that can actually successfully blame the weather for a poor first quarter um, and, and really counting on a second half rebound. But investors not really buying that. So it's it's back to that tech growth uh, theme that we saw so much, you know, uh, at the expense of, of some of the other, other industries. Um, and you know, uh, perhaps that's yep. that's the, the smart way to play this market. When you know, in in the long run, when tech really is, you know, where all the growth is. Can Satya Nadella do kind of anything wrong? Like he literally walks on water. Incredible, day. isn't it? Right. I, I don't know how he does it. I just kind of quarter after quarter, he's he's transformed the business, but then he just keeps kind of keeps plowing ahead. I just, this company is incredibly well positioned. It seemed. Right, and really, it sounds like you know making up a lot of uh, ground in the in the cloud business. Uh, so, with walking that- on clouds, maybe not walking on water. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it'd be interesting to see. I mean, uh, we we have Amazon uh, later today. You know, did Microsoft's uh, success in the cloud come at the expense of Amazon? Something tells me probably not. I think there's probably enough room in the cloud for for both of them, and they're both gonna uh, you know be showing some some pretty good growth. This was a forty dollar stock five years ago. It's amazing, isn't it? What a turnaround. 
That guy it, it has gone completely X growth, and he has completely revolutionised that business. Like serendipity paid a little part in it, but he kind of saw it coming. Well, just compare Microsoft to the fate of IBM. Well, you compare it with Apple in some ways. Well, look at I, IBM. I mean, I shouldn't. Have, if, if there was any company out there that was positioned to really take take advantage of the of the cloud business, yeah. um, e-commerce spending, all of these massive themes that a company could have jumped on. If we went back, say, five, six, seven, eight years, I assume a lot of people would have said IBM is the company to lead that charge. Sure, sure. You know, I, I mean, when you have Microsoft and you have everyone uh, using your Office products, you know, uh, by default almost, it, you know, I wonder how much that helps just... Well, would just, you have thought Amazon but, but would have to, led that charge? Yeah, yeah. yeah true, true. <laughs> well, but, but where they but, both are, you know. But Microsoft used to be the, the, the company that you went down to your local computer store and bought some sort of shrink-wrapped version of the latest Windows <laughs> product. I, that, that was the business right. yeah. when he picked it up, and it, and it ain't anymore. Right, like right. He basically has completely internally transformed that business. Like, I, the, the operating system stuff just isn't relevant anymore in terms of the way that that business is driven. I, uh, and I, I think, couldn't even tell you what the latest Windows product is. No. I have no idea. Um, and they are, they are not focused on that. He completely changed it. You're right, John. You wouldn't have seen it coming. You would have thought others would have done it. I would have said probably actually Apple was the company that was kind of was walking on water not even that long ago, and you would have thought that it would have taken some of this business on. Uh, it had huge cash piles. It was able to invest in all kinds of different businesses. I, I think history will look back at the missteps and the uh, complacency is the wrong word, but lack of vision yeah. in the Tim Cook era. And look at you compare and contrast Tim Cook and Satya Nadella. I, just on different planets, I think, in terms of seeing what is coming towards them, understanding how innovation is going to change, understanding how things are going to go into the cloud. And Apple just didn't see that one coming, I don't think. And he is the quiet man of Silicon Valley, too. Yeah. You know what? No one really talks about Satya Nadella. Right. Not in the same right. way they talk about Tim Cook and others. I think it's amazing what he's done. Just to finish up with this particular segment, Mike, very hard to bet against the bull market when the mega caps are reporting such good numbers. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one thing I do find fascinating, I'm kind of a, a round numbers geek, though, is, you know, uh, Apple had trouble uh, at the trillion dollar mark. Uh, Amazon's had it. You know, I don't know what it is about it, but, uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if Microsoft can actually be the first one to sort of hold it. Hold it. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, you know, these companies have a hard time uh, with that real number. Michael Regan, senior editor and lead blogger for Bloomberg here at Markets Live. Michael's going to be sticking with us next up on the program. Got to bring you some economic data in the United States of America. A proxy for business equipment spending just had its biggest pop since July of last year here in America. The numbers, the numbers are still OK. We're going to talk about US GDP, which comes up tomorrow as well. So it's the countdown to a first three to first quarter GDP in America to round out the week in New York and worldwide, I think, for economic data and for the earnings too. We'll do that over the next couple of segments. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jonathan Farrow, alongside Guy Johnson. 
Let's get to that data, shall we? Tomorrow, we'll get US first quarter GDP. Today, we had durable goods orders and capital goods orders as well. And the equipment spending in the United States was pretty decent too. Getting a better picture of the American economy. And I've got to say, it looks okay. Michael Regan with us, senior editor and lead blogger for Bloomberg Markets Live. Mike, it is okay. Maybe in some spaces it's better than okay. Relative to the rest of the world, it's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, better than what everyone was bracing for. You know, you flash back a, a few months ago when we were all obsessing about the yield curve and, and you know, what the trade war would do to growth. Uh so certainly better th- than those expectations. And, you know, uh, I-, I think we're really seeing it play out in the dollar, especially. I mean, uh, you're starting to see the dollar sort of broad strength against most currencies. And, you know, uh, at what point do, uh, does that sort of become a, uh, you know, a headwind for corporate profits and that sort of thing? No one seems to really be too upset about it now. I mean, stock market making new highs. Uh You know, uh, but I think, you know, this dollar is something a lot of people are, are keeping an eye on. What will it take in that GDP number tomorrow to change the broader narrative? Well, for the worse or for the better, you mean? Well, either. either. I'm kind of wondering whether or not what effect tomorrow's number will have. And clearly, we don't know what the number is, and I'm kind of asking you to speculate. But nevertheless, we are in a very low volatility environment at the moment. The Fed's basically signaled it's done. Right. Got a GDP number that's coming out that's going to provide a lot of detail in terms of the kind of minutiae of what's going on with the U.S. consumer. But nevertheless, what is it going to do to the overall narrative? Well, I think what everyone is kind of going to try to suss out, I think, is how much this inventory build uh, in the first quarter is sort of goose the numbers. Yep. And, you know, it's the type of thing you can you probably don't know until uh, the future what it actually means. I mean, are companies building inventories because the products aren't selling, or are they stocking up for uh, anticipated higher demand? Um, you know, I think I think the pessimists will will jump on the idea that the, you know inventories are, are just you know piling up, be, you know for whatever reason, and that's going to be subtract uh, from the future uh, future quarter growth. Um, to me, I think a hotter than uh, expected number would be really interesting. Just you know because there still is this. Uh, loosening bias priced into markets for the Federal Reserve. You know, still people still sort of holding on to hope uh, of a rate cut this year. So, um, should that go completely uh, out the picture, I, I think you'll see some uh, some reaction in, in markets. Um, but like you said, who who knows? I mean, it's it was a messy quarter, and uh, I, I think you know we can all sort of uh, expect you know uh, some surprises for sure. I'm fascinated to see how the consumer comes out in the first quarter. What we've seen through this week, and we've talked about it on this program a couple of times, I think, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, Kimberly-Clark, all big consumer names here in the United States of America with some well-known brands have all been able to put up prices and tested consumer price tolerance and passed with flying colors. Consumers still buy their goods at higher prices. That is a good sign for consumer spending. There is one caveat to this, though. If the price of soap goes up, I'm still going to buy soap. Uh, and Mike, it's not a really good read on consumer discretionary spending. It's just one part of the consumer, and I want a fuller read on the U.S. consumer in America because it is so important. Right, and you know, looking at the estimates for tomorrow, the, you know, uh, the consensus is for a little bit of slippage in uh, core PCE uh, to about one point three percent. You know, in the GDP price index coming down to one point two percent from one point seven percent. So, I'm not sure what's behind that thinking. I, I agree. I, I do think. Um, 
you know, there has been some signs of firmness, obviously with the wage growth, uh, you know, not going through the roof, but being sort of at the, the high of the cycle or close to it above 3%. Um, you would expect some, some further inflation pressure uh, to start showing up. Um, but, but you're right. I mean, if it's, if it's in staples, it's one thing. If it's in uh, fuel that we all have to buy, it's another. I'm not sure if we've seen it in the discretionary space as much. Michael Regan, senior editor and lead blogger for Markets Live, sticking with us as we count you down to that first quarter, first read of GDP in the United States and a whole lot more to come as well. Earnings season in full swing, both in Europe and the United States. This is Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening, 5.48 in the city of London. Uh, I'm Guy Johnson in London. John Farrow is over in New York. He's joined by Mike Reagan this evening. We'll be uh, getting Mr. Reagan's talk, take on what is happening with uh, the earnings story in a little bit more detail. And what is coming up is also important tomorrow. We've already talked about GDP. Deutsche Bank also out with numbers, a little bit more detail on what's happening there. That's coming up. ExxonMobil and Chevron also out with numbers tomorrow. There's a bit of a race uh, when it comes to securing slots on the Permian Basin, it seems, judging by the Anadarko news we've had over the last couple of days. I'd also like to just add to the mix, John, that we have a Spanish election coming up this weekend as well that is worth paying attention to. Very contentious politics in Spain right now. Not exactly been a great performer of late when it comes to the equity market story. So, uh Keep an eye on what's happening in Spain and keep an eye on what's happening in Argentina as well. Really bad day for Argentinian assets. Idiosyncratic. We're going to hear much more of that word. It's I don't funny. know. No, so I don't think it is idiosyncratic. I think there are idiosyncratic elements to it, but I yeah. think the dollar story is the overlay. And you can see that in a similar uh, story when it comes to the Turkish lira as well. It's that, really, that dollar it's really story funny worth- because I caught up with Mohammed Alarian a little bit earlier on and we talked about emerging markets and we were both reflecting on the fact that it's 12 months ago almost to the week where we really started to see big crats appear in emerging markets. And do you remember how many people would come on programs with you and I, Guy, and say this was idiosyncratic? And then we found out pretty quickly it wasn't. No. And I think I, I, I obviously didn't pick it up on that when you said that there, your, 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 um, your humor was der- buried a I'm bit sorry. deeper. I, I'm sorry. I, without you in front of me, it's sometimes hard to pick up on that. But I, but I think it isn't. Just assume whenever I use the I word, I am being somewhat sarcastic. Good, because I bloody hate it. Yeah, I do too. it's really annoying me at the moment. Everybody goes, oh yeah, no, it's not. There is a dollar narrative that is, that is, that is at play here. Also an election, as you point out, coming up um, in Argentina. Not sure yeah. when. I think in the next... In, Kirsten, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Macri not looking too good. Not looking too good at all. Speaking of elections, did you see that Mr. Biden is running? Yes. He is running in the 2020 election, the former vice president. When is this How old stuff? will he be? He will be 76 now, so I assume he'll be 77. The current president of the United States, I believe, is 73 this year. Generational change going really well, isn't it? So there's a three-year spread, Michael <laughs> Regan. What happened to the millennials? I thought the millennials well, were does, supposed does to Does age make in. a difference? Walk us through it. You're part of the electorate. Your voice um, matters. Oh, that could have gone one of two ways. Then. <laughs> <laughs> You're part of the. Uh, That's not where I was taking it. That's not where I was taking it at all. Yeah, guy, where do you think he was taking it? Does that make a difference? Sorry, very hard to tell with John. <laughs> I think you know you can't rule out the fact that the baby boomers are still a huge block of voters. Uh, but are they voting? 
Um, well, no, no, not the baby boomers. I was going to say the millennials, but the millennials, yes, they want the AOCs of this world, but they actually going out and voting, and the answer's not not as much as the baby boomers, we, right? Yeah, not. I mean, yeah, you can't vote for AOC. She's not old enough to run for president. So, um, you know, maybe uh, Pete Buttigieg gets in there and, and fires up the millennials, but I, you know, I still think the the swing voters are that older uh, baby boomers. So, generation. for our listeners in London that might not have heard of Mayor Pete. Yeah. Walk us through the hype around Mayor Pete Buttigieg and why maybe he should be on the radar of our listeners outside of America. So he's the, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, uh, which is a very... South sort of, what, sorry? Uh, <laughs> totally random. It's yes. totally random South for Bend. a lot of people. Yeah, the, the only claim to fame, that that's the uh, where Notre Dame University is, is located. Uh, so some maybe some American football fans might have ha- heard of it. But, but exactly, I mean, uh, the mayor of a very small town, not exactly the type of politician that can ascend to uh, the presidency, but he's got a lot of people excited about him. Very smart guy, speaks uh, multiple languages, uh, uh, the only uh, homosexual in, uh, in the race. Um, so that's, you know, people people looking for diversity, looking for change. Uh, looking for a pretty pretty bright guy. Um, he's he's caused a lot of buzz. Uh, you know, that said, he's still way behind in the poll numbers behind. Uh, you know, Biden and Bernie Sanders are basically at the lead right now. Uh, and everyone else is a, is a distant third. Um, Biden goes on The View tomorrow for yeah. his first interview, which for our listeners outside of America, that is the... U.S. equivalent of Loose Women, um, which is a program we actually have that's called Loose Women. Um, and I think it's interesting that he's chosen to go on The View. Right. Yeah, Biden I has this. I don't, I don't think that's particularly shocking. The, well, you, you know, as, Given what's happened recently. Well, exactly. That's my, the point I'm trying to make. It's a carefully curated launch to campaign to be president. Right. And, you know, he one of his weaknesses may be his sort of behavior around women, you know, being a little... Uh, hands-on, shall we say. Some people call him Creepy Joe. Creepy, creepy Joe. And President Trump called him Sleepy Joe today. That's a new one. I, is that I, what I, he called he him? He called him Sleepy Joe in a tweet. But yeah, I think Creepy Joe is a... Yeah, he's he's very much a, uh, you know, uh, put put your hand on, on the shoulder type of uh, uh, close close contact politician, which is not really playing well these days in the in the Me Too uh, environment. So I think going on on the view there, uh, the chat show is, is his attempt to sort of get ahead of that and and uh you know get that get those positioning himself also as the anti-trump hey absolutely in a way that perhaps other candidates haven't you don't really bernie sanders and the people of his sort of cut from the bernie sanders cloth are pushing their policy ideas and saying this is a better way for america straight out the gate joe biden has taken on the president of the united states that is how is he's positioning himself i'm the guy he's kind of got to to though hasn't he because because he's the guy that says you know what i'm for the blue collar worker that's always been his shtick hasn't it and as a result of which that is that that's where the overlap happens he's got to go after in some ways a similar vote to the trump vote Absolutely. You know, he's obviously he's uh, this a senator from Delaware, the small state of Delaware before becoming vice president. But he's from Scranton, Pennsylvania, which is really, you know, you couldn't pick out a more sort of uh, hard hat wearing uh, type of Trump supporter part of the the country. So, um, you know, I think he I think you're right. He's getting back to that sort of blue collar uh, ethos that uh, Trump was able to to sort of uh, win a lot of those voters over. He's trying to win them back. Mike, great to catch up with you. Busy couple of hours. We've got Amazon in a few hours' time, haven't we? After the closing bell. Guy Johnson, 
my buddy, my co-anchor, my good friend. Great to catch up with you as well, sir. Uh, Guy and I will be back on Monday. I believe Guy's not with us tomorrow. No, I'm in the office. You having a uh, long I've... weekend? Uh, no, I'm not having a long weekend. No, I've got to do a few extra uh, bits and bobs earlier on. You enjoy your bits and bobs. From Guy Johnson and myself, Jonathan <laughs> Ferro, this is Bloomberg. <laughs> 